Hello and welcome to another episode of the British English Podcast with me, your host, Charlie Baxter, where we very often delve into cultural differences and or similarities to try and help you better understand the workings of a British person, our culture and the language we use. And very often it's useful to compare with our cousins across the pond in order to expose the norms. And so I have managed to encourage a close friend back on the show who is indeed from the US. And this person appeared on the podcast earlier in the year to talk about her move to London, where she is still currently residing, which I think was a great episode to check out if you are thinking about moving to London or have recently moved there, because she has a bunch of useful tips and observations that will help you feel a bit more at ease about the whole thing. So that one was season three, episode five. But of course, this one is not about that move. We've been there and done that. No, today I was desperate to get this person back on because she recently experienced something rather unique. I'm not going to tell you any more about that yet as we will get to it, but just know that the theme of this episode was inspired by this pretty unique experience that she has recently had. And I really look forward to hearing about it as I have told her to save it for when we are recording. So as you might have seen from the title of this episode, we are going to be exploring the world of drugs, both recreational and pharmaceutical. But it's a bit more fun to talk about the recreational ones, so it might not be a 50-50 split. We will see. Oh, and to cover my backside, I should say this episode does not encourage one to use or abuse drugs in any way, shape or form. We are merely discussing the norms of one's society and how drugs may or may not have played a part in it. All right. With that introduction out of the way, let's finally say hello to Katie, the matey that I made in Columbus, Ohio. How is the morning treating you today, madame? Hello. It's treating me very well. Thank you. Yes. I remember the last time uh, you you told me how your dog Louie had been taken to daycare. Is that the same today or is he with us today? It's the same situation today. He's at daycare. He's Otherwise, at daycare. he'd try to sp- steal the spotlight. Yeah. Don't want that, especially considering the story that you've got installed for me about your experience. But we won't say it yet. We won't say what it is. <laughs> I thought we would delve into some questions around uh, pharmaceutical drugs first, but generally around the idea of drugs. Do you feel like you've got much to say on the idea? Is Has it been part of your experience as an American growing up, like drugs around you? Is it is it a thing or you're just like, well, it, it's life. It, it's what it is. I mean, maybe a bit of both. But yeah, definitely. I, I think Americans in general have a very high exposure to medicines and prescriptions and things like that, which we can get a bit more about. But yeah, so I, I think it's, I'm, I've been very exposed to it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's start off with something rather easy. What do you call a painkiller? Because every country I've been to, they're called something else. So what do you call them? That's a good question. I think we would call it a painkiller, but we also speak like we call them by their name. Like we, if we were taking ibuprofen, we would take ibuprofen. If we were taking acetaminophen, we would take acetaminophen. Well, you um, said that so very we, quickly. Can you slow that down for me, please? Sorry. Um, acetaminophen. Acetaminophen. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would probably so change depend- that, like my accent. Acetaminophen? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's different for us. So we would say paracetamol or we would say mm-hmm. ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think ibuprofen is an one that overlaps, but 
paracetamol is essentially acetaminophen. Have you noticed when you go into a drugstore, if you say your word for it, they don't understand you? Yeah, I think so. I think I probably kind of know what I'm looking for. So I don't know if I've asked a lot, to be honest, but I do think oh, if I, I said acetaminophen, I think they might be a little bit confused. And it certainly has happened that I've gone to the pharmacy looking for something and not known what to ask for, you know, knowing what the American word is, not, not just painkillers, but other, other things as well. Ah, oh, hello, sir. Welcome to the British English podcast, Bed and Breakfast. How can I help you? Oh, yes, I'd, uh, I'd like to check in early, please. I have a reservation under the name of Mr. Smith, and uh, I'd like to listen to the podcast for free. Certainly. And would you like a turn-down service and a complimentary worksheet with your stay? P- pardon me? A turn-down service and a free worksheet. What, what on earth are they? Let's let's see now, shall we? A turn-down service includes getting your bedroom ready for a night of sleep. In other words, I get in your bed, roll around in it, and then get back out. Oh, and the free worksheet is available for anyone listening to the British English Podcast. You can access it by going to the britishenglishpodcast.com slash freebies. That's F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S. By clicking the link in the show notes of this episode, or you can download the app called the British English Podcast app. It's rather impressive, as you can listen to every single episode and see the free worksheet on the same page. Very, very useful, and as I said, complimentary usage for any of our guests. So, how's about that turndown service, eh? Fancy it? Uh, I I think I'll pass on that, thanks. But I'll definitely be downloading the app you mentioned, yeah. Where Where can I get my hands on that, then? In your device's app store, sir. Search BEP for BEP or the British English Podcast. You can't miss it. Right. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, what room number am I? Room number 325, sir. Take the lift up to the third floor, take a left, and voila. Your home away from home awaits you. Right. Right. Thank you. See you tomorrow at breakfast. Sleep well. (sighs) Don't let the bed bugs bite because we really do have an abundance of them on the third floor. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Okay. And we we do have a brand that uh, people know of as Nurofen. Do you use that? I do, yeah. Yeah, That Um, Nurofen is ibuprofen, I think. Nurofen is ibuprofen, yes. Yeah. Um, Do you have, you have Advil, don't you? Do you have Advil? Yeah, Advil is, it's a brand name, but I don't think Advil is acetaminophen. I think it's something else. So, but it's similar, yeah. It's so there's like the brand name and then there's the actual, so like Tylenol, for example, is one that we have. Um, that is acetaminophen, but it's the brand name. Yeah, so that feels very American. I, I think that's mentioned in films, like Tylenol. Tylenol. How'd you say it? Yeah, yeah, Tylenol. Tylenol, yeah. Uh, that's paracetamol, I think, Tylenol. And then Advil, I think is ibuprofen. Um, yeah. I noticed a funny moment. So ibuprofen, that's quite a few syllables. Um, I was on a ski trip with Stacy's dad and brother and we were in the uh, cabin and uh, her brother said to me, oh, Charlie, have you got some ibuprofen? Ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. And I said, 
I said, what are you saying? Are you saying ibuprofen? And I was about to like dig into him and like have a joke. And then his dad turns to me, he said, oh, have you got the ibuprofen? I'd like that as well. <laughs> so, I like, oh, okay. There's a, there's a trend in the family. So. And you also, if you were to go into a, it, it's different here. So if you were to go into the, just the shop, you know, into the grocery store and try to buy ibuprofen or acetaminophen or paracetamol, you can only buy two packs. There's 16 tablets in each pack and you can only buy two packs. I mean, you walk into a shop in the US and you can buy a giant bottle of like 350 ibuprofen capsules. So it's very different in terms of the way it's sold as well. Yes, that's very good to point out. I think that was one of the first things I noticed when I went to a CVS. Is that a pharmacy mm-hmm. in America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buckets. Like you can almost get a bucket full of drugs. Yeah, they're very yeah, protective. There's no limits on those. Very protective in the UK. I think it's because they think you can overdose. I mean, you can overdose, can't you? Yeah, you can, course. yeah. Any idea why America doesn't give a shit? Uh, I think just in general, we have a very different relationship when it comes to medication and you know the u.s has a medicine for profit so it's a very different story yes and that will probably shape this conversation also do you think it's at all to do with like i can be whoever i want to be i can get i can get a bucket load of pills if i want a bucket load of pills like you can't tell me what to do yeah probably there's probably a lot of that in there as well i think they kind of go hand in hand where we've ended up in our system of medicine for profit as well, like that mentality as well as coupled with, you know, trick-or-treating for for medication. Yeah. What kind of drugs and vitamins are common in a household in America, particularly perhaps yours when you were growing up? Painkillers for sure. Ibuprofen was never in short supply. And there's a lot of different forms as there are here, but, you know, there's ibuprofen or acetaminophen for nighttime use so it helps you sleep cold and flu you know all the different variations that you can take these things for and melatonin is another one that's a big one so which is a naturally produced thing i think people think of it as pretty like mundane but that's illegal in the uk you can't get it well it's not illegal but you can't get it over the counter Um, whereas in the u.s not only can you get it over the counter but you can get it in some really high dosages as well and just to put an, a bit of English phrases to bed or like to explain a few, because it will come up a lot over the counter and prescription mm-hmm. over the counter means you can buy it without a doctor's note and prescription means you need to go to the doctor and then they confirm whether you need it or not. So, yeah, over the counter. OK, I've never really heard of getting what is it? Mel- melanin as in melatonin, melatonin. Sorry. What does melatonin do? So it helps you sleep. It's a hormone that your brain produces and your body produces when you're as you're falling asleep. And so lots of things can throw mel- your melatonin out of whack. So if you take melatonin, it helps you fall asleep. So it is a natural thing, but it's a hormone. So it should be taken, you know, cautiously. Whereas you can buy it in quite high milligrams in the US just without a prescription. Right. Yeah, that does actually ring a bell now. And have you ever taken melatonin? Absolutely. Yeah. That's something that was, you know, it's pretty common in my household and my parents definitely use it. I've used it. I think it's looked at as like a, yeah, almost, I would say almost everyone I know has used it. What were you going to say? Oh, it's, it's a pretty, you know, benign kind of thing. I think you would think of it almost as taking 
in the same realm as taking ibuprofen. Oh, I've got a headache. I'm just going to take some ibuprofen. Oh, I can't sleep. I'm just going to take some melatonin. It's pretty meant to be viewed as pretty non-addictive, not habit forming, that kind of thing. And is it addictive in any way? I don't know if it's addictive. I definitely know it is a hormone. And I think there are more studies coming out about it now saying you shouldn't take it in high milligrams and you should be really mindful of when you take it. Like you certainly shouldn't be taking it every night because it can affect, you know, the things that are going on in your body. Right. And does it help you sleep a lot? Like significant difference? Yeah, I do. I do find it does help if if I'm really struggling to sleep or if I'm jet lag, that's a good time to use it when you're trying to regulate and get your body back on track in terms of sleeping. It does really help you fall asleep. And then they also have ones that are like time release. You have when you take it, it gives you a little bit and you helps you fall asleep and then it releases more a couple hours later to help you stay asleep Whoa. as well. Clever. Fancy one. Yeah, clever pills. Uh, you just reminded me of a really common drug that americans have what's it called uh what what are some of the really common ones that like people joke about like knocking you out basically xanax yes yes xanax so what does that do exactly do you know so i believe i'm certainly not an expert on this but i believe that xanax well it is it's like an anxiety and potentially even depression medication i think it came to rise pretty prevalently in like the 50s it was like a big thing to take a Xanax. I mean, it still is to this day, but it's, I think it helps relieve stress and anxiety, but basically it knocks you out more or less. It makes you tired or puts you to sleep, okay. which alleviates the, the anxiety. I don't know exactly what type of, um, what type of anxiety or depression medication it is. There's a few different types, but yeah, it, it's a very common one. I've got it here. Uh, Xanax spelt differently than what I thought. X-A-N-A-X is a benzodiazepine. I hear that in films like they've taken, if they've had a big night drinking or something, they're like, oh, I'm just going to pop a Xanax and get through it, kind of. It would help you sleep. If you were trying to stay awake, something you would see a lot in films, it would be Adderall. Adderall. Okay, Adderall. How would I say it? Adderall. No, I wouldn't say Adderall. (laughs) I don't know how to say it. Adderall. Oh, goodness yeah. me. Okay. Oh, it's an R-A-L-L. Adderall. Adderall? Adderall. We're going to have to go American, I think. <laughs> How would you use Adderall? Like to stay so, awake, you say? Yeah. So Adderall, when it's prescribed, is meant for ADHD or ADD, usually typically in like teenagers. I think it's meant to help them focus. That's like the intention of it. A very common thing, especially when I was in college, like Adderall use in college was a very common thing. If someone had a paper to write or needed to stay up all night to finish a project, they would take an Adderall because it would help keep them up, but also keep them really focused. But is another thing that if, if someone is, you know, wanting to stay up all night drinking and partying, they would take an Adderall. Obviously not what it's prescribed for. Yes. Abusing. Mm-hmm. Would you use the verb pop? Pop an Adderall? Yeah. Juice. Yeah. Any pop other? Pop an Adderall. Take, pop, have... Depending on how you consumed it. Okay. So you mentioned how Americans have an association, no, have a relationship with drugs that is somewhat around capitalism or the, you know, the idea that it's for profit. Can you tell me a little bit more about your thoughts around this thing? Sure. I mean, I can kind of explain why Uh, Americans tend to have a really just like innate knowing of 
medication, understanding of medication, what these names are, what they do, more so than anywhere else, I would say, because from the time we are little, we are inundated with ads for medications. It's very common when you're watching television, you'll see two, three ads maybe in a commercial break for a different type of medication. And so it's typically like a sunny day and someone's running through a field or like high-fiving someone on the street and they're saying, take this, you know, this medication does this, this, and this, and it'll make everything better. And then the second half of the ad typically lists, I've also noticed as I get older, the lists of the um, side effects, they uh-huh. kind of run through them really fast and say, you could have blah, 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 really negative, bad side effects. Um, They kind of run through them. And at the end of every ad, it says, ask your doctor about Xanax or whatever, whatever the, the prescription or medication is. And the intention of this is so that you go into your doctor and you say, oh, I have these symptoms and I heard about this on TV. You know, what about this? And that obviously puts the demand there from the consumer, right? Because it's for profit. It's like the, it's the, the patient bringing it to the doctor saying, what about this medication? And it's been like that long before I was born. And it's been like that my whole life. Wow. Yeah, that's rare to go to a doctor, in my opinion. I mean, I haven't been to the doctor loads, but as an adult, but yeah, I would never really think about finding a drug before I go to a doctor. I'd always go to the doctor be t- to be told what I need because of what they think I've got. So you're kind of self-diagnosing based on the adverts. Remember that this episode, just like every single other episode on this show, comes with a free worksheet where you get to see some of the best native expressions that come up in this very episode, along with definitions made for you, a non-native learner. I've even designed it so that you can play the podcast episode on the same page as the free worksheet. It's super user-friendly, so head over to thebritishenglishpodcast.com right now and check out the free podcast worksheets or simply click on the link that says free podcast worksheets in the show notes of this episode. Good morning, Squire. I do hope you slept soundly. Care for some breakfast? Oh, yes, I'd, I'd, I'd love some. Uh, what's on the menu? Let's have a look, shall we? We have the buffet breakfast for premium podcast members, and we have the exclusive set menu if you're a member of the Academy. Oh, right, yeah. And and apart from the breakfast options, uh, why would I want to be a member of the p- premium podcast, you say? Or the... The, um, uh, the... Or the Academy, sir. Yes. You see, premium members get to enjoy the buffet along with transcripts, glossaries, and flashcards to use how and when you want. Rather like the buffet if you've not cottoned on yet, Mr. Smith. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Very nice. Very nice. All right. So just like the buffet, I can come and go as much as I like and eat or learn, in this case, uh, in whatever way I like with the basic stuff available for me. Precisely, Mr. Smith. Very good, very good. And then the members of the Academy get everything premium members get, but more importantly, they get to experience some fine dining with a set menu or structure of lessons with videos, audios, quizzes, assignments, speaking classes on Zoom, the speaking partner program, and entry into a lottery to win one-to-one classes with Charlie, the host of the podcast this bed and breakfast is associated with. Gosh, 
It's a fair amount of stuff, isn't it? You don't suppose I could sample a bit of both options before I decide what to do? It's funny you should say that because we indeed have a sample sausage from the buffet along with a sample of the premium podcast over at thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash premium. And of course, we have some caviar and a full lesson to sample for the Academy over on thebritishenglishpodcast.com slash Academy. Again, all the links will be in the show notes and on that menu in front of you, sir. I will leave it with you to think over, and I do hope you enjoy yourself. Right, yeah, thanks. Food for thought, I suppose. Absolutely, or you know you have already been diagnosed with something. Let's say, like, growing up I had pretty bad asthma. I was on a certain type of inhaler. I might see this commercial for... And a different, a new asthma inhaler or a tablet steroid for asthma. And my mom might see it. I might see it and say, oh, well, maybe we should try that. You know, my asthma, I've, my asthma hasn't been great. And then you would then go to the doctor and say, well, we saw this. Is this a new thing? And, you know, so it makes it an interesting dynamic at the doctors, I would say. Yeah, massively. And do the doctors cave to the suggestions a lot? It's a good question. I would say maybe not cave to it, but I definitely think that they're kind of forced to have that conversation then and say, well, actually, this is why I'm recommending this type of medication. And, you know, there might be all kinds of things. There might be different medical reps who sell one inhaler that come into their office and push that inhaler. And that's why they're recommending it. You know, there's lots of different reasons why these things happen, why they use one brand of medication over another, prescribe one brand over another. So yeah, it kind of forces them to have that conversation and say, well, actually, this is why I've got you on this one. And do you know many friends who are medical reps? No, I don't really know that many. I had a friend who dated a medical rep once and we got all kinds of information out of him (laughs) once, but that's, you know, like third party type person so i had one friend who did it for a bit and he in england so he's, he was british and he went to uk doctors and they were the gps so general practitioners they would just go to these doctors and uh, he said that the best that they can do in terms of like enticing them is buy them a lunch like a takeaway mm. lunch other than that it's illegal to bribe them with stuff And he would very often (laughs) go and get them the best Indian from the local curry house. (laughs) So his car would always smell of those strong smells. I I can imagine, though, it might have come from America, the idea that you can sell the drug by bribing the doctor with a really nice golf day or a holiday Mm -hmm. or something. Maybe this was a few decades ago. I don't know. I I, I imagine Mm. it's probably better than that now. But any ideas? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it probably is still the same way. Maybe it has to be done in a little bit more above board kind of way, especially since the opiate crisis. I think that was something that the U.S. kind of started to examine how prescriptions were given and why doctors were prescribing these things. And maybe that these things weren't being regulated to the degree that people thought they were. And But yeah, I think conventions are a big one. Doctors get invited to conventions in different places and get paid, you know, paid holiday basically to come to these conventions to learn all about these certain types of medication. But the pharmaceutical companies have a lot of money and they put a lot of money into getting doctors on their side. So the pharmaceutical companies are the ones researching the drugs and getting the drugs through the research, proving that they're right. And I don't know if you know much about this, but I've heard that they're allowed to, is it the FDA? Is that is that yes, Food and Drug? Yes, Food and Drug Association. I think that's a lot less 
critical than the European version. And you're allowed to do as many tests as you like or as much research as you like. And you don't have to report the ones that weren't significant or that had bad, you know, problems coming from it. Mm -hmm. And not only are the are the pharmaceutical companies the one doing the re their own research, they're the ones producing, selling it. And then they are also, you know, hiring whoever to come in and look at it and do the research. But like you say, they don't have to publish the results they don't want to. Yeah. And so after all of that, then they're then they're inviting the doctors, the American doctors to the exhibitions, maybe also global you know, not just American doctors, but they're inviting them to these exhibitions and they're saying, look at this new drug. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then I assume they're also pushing the advertising on the TV to the consumer as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly and, where it comes from. And so it's coming at both ends. The doctor's being told, sell this drug. And then the doctor's being told by the patient, but can I buy this drug? Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. And this is all based on a, a business kind of profit kind of thing. Whereas listeners, the UK has the NHS. It's um, it's starting to become privatised, unfortunately, in my opinion. And lots of things are turning that way. But still, I think a lot of people are very proud of the NHS, meaning the National Health Service. And it's free for the most part. And so there's a lot less focus on profits, and etc. But it does mean that it, it's not a perfect experience and i remember when we went to america stacy my partner she would often get very very good quality service like in the hospitals it was it was almost like we were going to a hotel mm. in a hospital in england i don't know if you've been to like a walk-in center they're not the best in comparison do you feel like yeah that? i've only really been to my gp i haven't really been yeah i've been fortunate to not have to need anything other yes, than that yes that's good yeah and the GP, is that the same in America to have a GP? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You do have a GP. I think they tend to be, it's a little different, or at least in my experience of having a GP here, I go to the same surgery, right? Like that it's the same doctor's office, but I see many different doctors. I might see this doctor on a Tuesday, or if I need to go on another day, I might see a different actual doctor, even though they all work in the same practice. Whereas it's kind of like that, I suppose, in the US. But in my experience growing up, I had really had one or two doctors that I would, was, were like right. my main ones. I would like, if I were to call, I would book an appointment with a specific doctor. Yeah, I, I think that's what I remember of Stacy. Mm -hmm. I thankfully didn't do much of this, but being a female mid 20s she would go in and she would see very specific doctors she would come back yeah. she said oh i saw my uh, insert long medical word and i would be like <laughs> who's that and so i yeah. Uh, yeah i think in england it's generally you just go to the gp yeah, yeah. earlier you said the opioid crisis could you mm. expand on that and start off like saying when it was maybe? Yeah. So I think, well, the opiate crisis has really run, I think from, I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm certainly not an expert on this, but mm -hmm. through the nineties and early two thousands, even into the, into now. So I really think things were quite bad, maybe 
like mid 2000s. But basically what happened was there was a company, the Sackler family is, is the pharmaceutical company. I don't know if that's the actual was the name of the company. But that was the family that ran this pharmaceutical company. And they produced this painkiller, essentially. It was a painkiller. Um, it was an opiate. And it was quite strong. And it started getting prescribed, especially in places where maybe the population did a lot of manual labor. So mining towns. So it tended to be places that were more rural and, you know, people really relied on a, a physical way of working um, to support their livelihood. So it was really, they, they really relied on this. And then basically the, this pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical company was really pushing this medication to these doctors, small town doctors, rural doctors to help their patients with pain management is the is the big thing. So they could go about their lives, continue working, doing the work they needed to do to support their families, this, that, and the other thing. They knew pretty early on how addictive these things were, and they basically just buried it and buried it and buried it. And exactly what you said, didn't release the studies that had said how addictive they were. And patients were finding relief from this, you know, beginning dosage for a while. And then that relief would go away because their bodies would adjust to it. They would get used to it. And then they would need more. And then they would need more. And while the company knew how addictive it was, they continued to create tablets that were higher and higher dosages so that these doctors could continue giving these patients this medication and then became incredibly, they're incredibly addictive. They became really addicted. Whole towns would become addicted to this medication for pain management because people were in real pain and it's debilitating. And then they would essentially turn into addicts, right? And they would, doctors would be like, whoa, they would see the signs of addiction and say, I'm not giving you any more of this. And then they were truly addicted to this medication. And in order to deal with their addiction that they had been you know, prescribed essentially, they would have to turn to other things. Heroin was a big one. In towns where, I mean, this is this is true across the United States, in towns that were really ravaged by this opiate crisis, heroin is a major problem because people had to had to self-medicate essentially. And it, all of this has now been pro like proven. It's, it's There's a a good show called Dope Sick for anyone who's interested in this. Michael, okay. It's Michael Keaton. Kind of explains what happened. But basically, the company was paying off the FDA with the Food and Drug Association. They had someone on the board who was kind of looking the other way, and they were able to get around putting the addictive warning on the label, essentially. So today, that problem still exists? Yeah. Now, yeah. opiates are certainly not prescribed in the masses the way they used to be. People are very aware of it now. So we're, I think they're probably coming down on the, the end of it, right? Because it's been exposed and now everyone knows how dangerous they are and people who are having this problem can get help. But I think it went on for years, kind of just unchecked with these addictions running rampant, essentially. Yeah, this this is something that I think non-Americans hear about in the media. Obviously, we don't really experience it firsthand by any means. But I was trying to think, you know, well, what what do the UK have? Because it's not exactly perfect. But I don't think we've got something as debilitating as that that's been such a big controversy. I, I don't feel like we have. I, I had a little mm. look and, and found that like this, article said seven drugs for seven decades. So in the 50s, apparently alcohol was a huge issue in the UK. The 60s was LSD. The mm. 70s was cannabis. The 80s was heroin. The 90s was ecstasy. 2000s was cocaine. 
And then mm-hmm. 2010s was legal highs. So interesting. Uh, yeah, highs that were kind of distracting the the sort of um, the government essentially, allowing you to sell it through a, a, a shop that is legal. I mentioned cannabis in the 70s. I think we can all kind of stereotype that drug with the 70s quite heavily, quite easily. And I thought we could do a little game with this drug, make it a bit more lighthearted and see how many names of this drug we can come up with. And I wanted to say something about it. And this game I thought up is called Categories. It's very common. And I should also say that this is a rule within a very famous drinking game in English-speaking countries or cultures called Ring of Fire. You've Mm. played Ring of Fire, I assume, Katie. We call it Kings. Oh, okay. But it is the same thing. I really thought Ring of Fire. Kings or King's Cup. That's those are the that's what we call it. And are you using a stereotypically red big plastic cup? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's a bit of a difference. Maybe mm. nowadays our supermarkets have it, but we didn't really have that good essentially, you know, that essential <laughs> big cup that you could throw away. So we'd often find like a vase or like a a random <laughs> a random big like the kettle. Sometimes we'd use a kettle. In the middle. Oh, outrageous. Yeah, and you'd get a bit of like the, is it, is it cal- calcium, the buildup? Yeah, the like yeah. mineral buildup on the, the inside. Mineral. So <laughs> the red cup is advantageous, I'd say. So yeah, this, this game is called Ring of Fire in the UK. Think of a table with a pack of cards spread around in a wide circle. And then card number 10 is often called categories. So people sit around these cards and then they pick up one at a time. And then each card represents a game within itself. So it's mini games within a big game. And this one is called categories. Player who picks up the card has to name a category such as uh, dogs or cars or beers. And then you go around the circle of people and each person has to name a thing of that category. So if it were dogs, that was uh, the chosen category, then you would each need to say a different breed of dog until one of you can't recall one. And then that person drinks and drinks the alcohol. Let's do it with dogs. Let's practice. You have, I'm going to steal yours. I've picked up the card. <laughs> you have a cocker spaniel, do you? Well, cocker spaniel? He's half cocker spaniel. Oh, co- c- cavoodle, cavoodle. Cockapoo. 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 Okay, so we've both said one there. So back to me. <laughs> Labrador. Golden retriever. Bulldog. Australian shepherd. Shih tzu. Uh, Irish wolfhound. God, there's a lot. There's actually a lot there we could go through, couldn't we? <laughs> I'm going to, I think I could think of some more, but I'm going to leave it there. Can I think of another one? Yeah. Boxer. Anyway, end of dog <laughs> warm-up game. Let's do the weed one. Katie, you've picked up the, fir- the card. It's your turn now. Categories for weed. I mean, weed in of itself is one, but we'll say pot. Okay. Pot. Okay. Grass. Mm, reefer. So are we allowed to say like the name of the utensil almost as well? Like a bifter? I guess so. I mean, it's your game. Feel what we can. <laughs> but like you would say, I'm going to go smoke a bifter. You wouldn't right, say, I'm okay. going to go smoke the weed that's in this thing. True. But it, it's not a nickname for weed, though. No, it's not. No. It's a nickname for the like thing. 
Yeah. Okay. Cannabis. Mary Jane. Good. Mary Jane. That's, I think there's an interesting etymology of that one. I can't remember it though. Can you can't remember? Well, it comes from marijuana, I think. Hey, marijuana. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. So that's back, back to, to you. you then. <laughs> um, hash. Hash? Yes. Yeah. So I, I Googled this. Hash is exactly the same, but it's really concentrated version of it. And it's mm. like hard and then people burn it. Uh, to but it, it is, off. yeah, like the same same plant. Yeah. Same plant, mm. yes. I'm going to cheat and look at my list. <laughs> Weed, ganja, marijuana, Mary Jane, ganja. the green. Green. Mm. Uh, cannabis, grass. And then I wrote down a doobie. But that's kind of getting uh, into the thing, aren't we? Yeah, joint, doobie, blunt, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Dope is dope. Oh, dope. Yeah. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. the drug itself, isn't it? That's not. That's yeah. that feels like a bit of an old school one. Dope. Yeah. Bud. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Bud. Yeah. There we go. And hash. Yeah. All right. So yeah, the relationship with weed um, that Americans have and Brits have, and maybe what you have notice the difference between the two yeah well it's very different i moved to the uk from california where it is legal and it's legal in many states in the u.s but it wasn't when i was growing up a very different different story but yeah in california it's totally legal and it's very common it's common for i mean people smoke weed or have edibles or things like that the way people would smoke cigarettes here in fact i think it's way more socially acceptable in california to smoke weed than it would be to smoke a cigarette completely different that was quite an interesting thing to notice even when we were there uh, eight years ago roughly so that was 2015 ish smoking felt like a bit of a dirty habit smoking cigarettes Mm. whereas in europe it was it's still I'd say it's still kind of acceptable. It's it's almost still cool, still a little bit cool, I'd say. And it's on in Germany. It's advertised openly smoking. Oh, is it really interesting? Yeah, yeah, like the billboards. Mm. Whereas, yeah, I feel like America campaigned well with that and made it a taboo or like uncool to smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well I do played. think the younger gen. Well, obviously it still happens, but yeah, it definitely depends on where you are. But for sure, it's definitely not like a cool thing to do anymore, I would yeah. say. And to bring weed back into the conversation mm. in in the UK, most of the time, I think people mix the two, tobacco and weed in a utensil or a joint or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think in America, it's different. Yeah, it's actually, it would just be the bud. It would just be the marijuana plant that you would have in a joint or a bong or a blunt or whatever you choose to smoke out of i don't know Uh, i I will remember can you explain a bong uh i can try my best i don't know exactly how it works but i know there's water in it and you light something and then breathe into it and it pulls the smoke up so it's like a contraption yeah it's much bigger it's like a glass most of the time they're glass usually yeah Yeah. see-through glass and yeah you burn at the bottom and then Things happen with the bubbly water when you suck it and then inhale. And that, I think, is a very, very quick, rather deadly way of consuming it. Yeah, I definitely think it hits you very fast, immediately. And when also when you are when you're smoking it, just the weed and you're you're not you don't include tobacco again, you I think you probably reach a different level of high. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. California is very open to it. Is it is it acceptable to go to work high? We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards, whereas the Academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast.